Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So be affectionately, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, sacrificially giving ourselves, he says, because you had become very dear to us. He says, our gentleness was manifested in our care for you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Now, I often don't think of myself as a nursing mother, but hey, you know, the analogy works, right? And that's number four, an effective witness will be a nursing mother. No, it's not. An an effective witness truly cares. An effective witness truly cares. Because when you truly care for somebody, you don't want to harm them. When you truly care about somebody, you want their best interest. You have their best interest in mind. Um, Like nursing mothers, they truly care for their babies. Now, I've seen my wife go through the nursing process with all five of my kids. And I can tell you, if you didn't, know this already, it's not always a pleasant thing. Now, I don't want to scare you ladies away from motherhood, but let me get real with you for a second here, okay? It's tiring. It is very tiring. I want to say you burn like an extra thousand calories a day when you breastfeed because your body's working to produce these nutrients. Uh, It is very inconvenient to have this baby hanging off you at random times, you know? Like you're trying to go to the bathroom or eat or you know, sleep, and you having to get up throughout the night to nurse this baby. It's painful. It's painful. Fellas, I don't know if you ever get chaffage playing basketball or body surfing on the beach, you know what I mean? It's way worse. Way worse. And let's be real, they bite, okay? These little things bite, and by the time they're growing their teeth in, it is time to quit, ladies. It's crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. If you ever wanted to harm somebody, it'd be the person biting you in a very sensitive location, right? But nursing mothers, they they care for their children. They're not going to bite their kids back. They're not going to harm them. Why? Man, because they love that little baby. Good thing God made babies cute because there'd be a lot less people on earth, I think, if they weren't so cute. But it's true. Nursing It's a great analogy because nursing mothers... They sacrifice so much for that little baby who can never repay them. Well, at least not in the state that they're in, except that they're so cute, right? Uh, Nursing mothers care. And it's been said a thousand times, and it bears repeating. I'll say it again, because it's so true. And that is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's so true. And when you can prove to somebody that you really care for them, they will listen to what you have to say. When someone senses that you really do have their best interest in mind, they will be interested in your input. And they will be interested in your Jesus and what you have to say. And nothing proves that you care for somebody more than sacrificial love. More than laying down yourselves and your own desires, even, even suffering so that for someone else's best interest. This is what Christ-likeness looks like. And it's no coincidence, no, no coincidence, no coincidence 
that when you look at church history uh, and you see revival and you see conversion come to these cultures who didn't have the gospel, these, these seasons of revival are often um, preceded by Christians sacrificing, by even Christians giving their lives. Because when the world sees Christians sacrificing for their best interest, they start to listen. Not all of them, but some of them really do. It, it, it impacts people. I think of Jim Elliott you know, going to the, the, the natives in South America and, and giving his life. But you realize what made Elizabeth Elliott so effective was the fact that Jim Elliott was murdered by those natives. And when she went back, it was such a great demonstration of love that despite the fact that they killed her husband, she was going to bring the gospel to them. And that's so often the case. If you read church history and you read these biographies of these amazing saints who've gone before us, revival is often preceded by sacrifice of the church, sacrificial love, the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind, the salvation of mankind happened because of sacrificial love. And of course, the opposite is true too, right? If someone feels unloved by you, if someone feels marginalized by you or insulted or criticized by you, you know what? They're not going to care about your advice and they're going to despise your gospel. They will. And so we have to be very careful that we come across loving to people. I know you can't always, you know, uh, be everything for all people and you can't always be mindful of the ways that you step on toes. We all have quirks, I get that, but we should make a real effort to make sure we're loving the people around us, especially those that you're trying to share the gospel to. Make that, allow them to feel loved by you. And so if we want to be effective witnesses, we need to cultivate that genuine care for others. Verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Number five, an effective witness is a hard worker. To be an effective witness is to be hard working. And you guys understand, this is a, it's a commendable thing to just put your head down and do what you need to do to provide for yourself. You might feel like, man, I want to preach the gospel and I got to, you know, do this construction job or I got to work doing HVAC or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And you might be like, man, I want to do more ministry. I want to do more for the Lord. It's like, no, be faithful where God has you and, and work and provide for yourself. Provide for your family. That is commendable. The world sees that and it helps your witness to be a hardworking employee. It helps your witness to be someone who actually is generous with your finances and 2 Thessalonians, it tells us that if you don't work, you don't eat. New Testament principle. If you don't work, you shouldn't be mooching off of everybody else. If you're able to work, you should get out and work and provide for yourself. Ephesians tells us to work with your own hands so that you may have something to give. Like work, earn a living so that you can have something to offer other people. It is a, an amazing way to be a witness for Christ. It's just by, by being faithful to your job and faithful to your boss. And, and Paul, he was a tent maker, right? We know that. He went and uh, like a tanner, he would stretch that leather out and he would work with other tent makers. He was working early in the morning, 
probably going out preaching during the afternoons and then going back and working at night. He's like, day and night we labored and toiled so that we wouldn't be a burden to you guys. Imagine Paul showing up there, uh, you know, like putting on airs. Hey, I'm, I'm that apostle, you know, from, uh, from Damascus. Yeah, you remember? I'm the one that saw Jesus. And, and uh, I'm, here to, I'm here to share the truth of God with you. Uh, can anybody buy me lunch? Uh, can you spot me a 20? Uh, I'm, I'm hurting bad. The ministry's hurting bad. You know what I mean? It's like it really hurts your witness to be one of those who, who, who is mooching, especially if it's out of laziness. If you're lazy and you're a mooch and people know that, people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say. Verse 10, you are witnesses, he says, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul, in verse 10, he says, we weren't misleading, impure, deceptive. He says, but rather we were these things. We were holy. We, we walked before you in righteousness. What do those mean? Holy means to be set apart. It means that you have set yourself apart from the way much of the world behaves because you were trying to honor God with your actions. Set apart for God. That's what holiness means. We were righteous among you. We were trying to do the right thing. We were doing what was right in your midst. And because we did these things, we were also blameless. We were blameless in in your midst. Nobody there can accuse us of, of any harm because we were blameless in your midst. Now, they weren't perfect in their conduct. I'm sure nobody's perfect, but they didn't give anyone any excuses to blame them for things. This is called being above reproach. Being above reproach and an effective witness, number six, will strive to be above reproach. Listen to Titus chapter 2. It says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of you. So like when someone really doesn't like you, they don't like what you're doing, they don't like the gospel you're preaching, they come to, to throw some dirt on you, it's really hard. you make it really hard for them because you're gentle, because you're loving, because you watch what you say. Now, I, I'm not perfect in this, I, I'm sure none of you are perfect in this. We say things, right? And we're like, man, I wish I could take that back. And we can also see that's a, that, that effect as to how it ruins our ability to speak love and truth and Jesus into somebody's life. So it's a high calling, and I'm not preaching this like I figured this out fully, but man, what a challenge. Don't give people anything to grasp onto as far as blame in your life. An effective witness will be above reproach. And then he mentions again his care for them. So that care aspect is doubly important. Care for people, truly love people, and you will be an effective witness. But this time, Paul doesn't say he's like a nursing mother. He says, we were like a father to you. Their love was demonstrated as a fatherly love. Paul was a father, a spiritual father to many. That's how he viewed himself. And there's a saying that you can't be someone's friend and their father at the same time. There are just certain things that as a dad, 
though you might want to do with your son as a friend, there's certain things you just can't do if you're going to be a good dad. And it's so true. I, want to, I mean, I'm friends with my kids, and I love them, and I want to have a healthy relationship with them, but there are certain ways in which I cannot behave. I don't treat my kids like they're one of the boys. I'm their father. And in certain respects, it's the same way as I've been able and been privileged to pastor you guys. There are certain ways in which I cannot act or do or things, things that I wouldn't want to hinder my ability to shepherd people in Christ. Paul was a, a, fa- a spiritual father. He, ta- he talked to the Corinthians and he says, you guys have 10,000 instructors. Man, when you guys get together, everybody has a word and everybody wants to say something. And, and the, the, services, the church services, they seem so, so amazing because everybody's like talking and having tongues and like speaking out. That's great, but how many fathers do you have there? How many shepherds do you have? He says you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. And just, just by word of encouragement to the church, we, yes, we need gifted people. Yes, we need people who will get up and, and, and share. But more importantly, we need loving fathers who will shepherd the community. I don't know if you feel called to the ministry or if you have an idea of what ministry looks like, but what the church really needs is people who really care for younger Christians. People who really want to be available and present emotionally and spiritually for the church. We need shepherds. We don't need more fancy preachers. We don't need more rock star worship leaders. We need people who really love and will shepherd. If you can preach, shepherd through that gift. If, you can, if you're a rock star worship leader, shepherd through that gift. But use your giftings as a shepherd to love people and to raise people up. He says, we were like fathers among you. Verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is, as the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So he's saying, again, just as he said in chapter 1, you guys received the word, it was in power, it changed your life. We won't dig into this too much because we really covered this in chapter 1. Verse 14, For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. He says, It came so effective, you became such good models that even you were faithful despite persecution. It says, These people killed the Lord Jesus, drove us out, And they displease God and oppose all mankind. Some pretty strong words. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He says, these guys who have hindered the gospel, he says, they have filled up the measure of their sins. How did they do that? By opposing the gospel. They've filled up their... Their sin level is maxed out because they have not only committed these offenses, but they are now in the way of salvation for other people. And let me tell you, that is a dangerous place to be. When you come against the work of the ministry, when you come against 
the preaching of the gospel and try and hinder people from being saved. It's scary, but there is special wrath. That's like, that's like you're getting between Jesus and the people He's trying to save. That's like getting between a mama bear and her cubs. It's not going to work out for you. It is a dangerous place. He says, wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see, your fa- to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. How do you feel about that? The Apostle Paul, this amazing spiritual giant, was hindered by Satan. I'll tell you, it's okay. Everything works out all right for Paul. Though Satan was allowed to hinder. And let me tell you, Satan will be permitted to hinder from time to time, but he will never stop the kingdom that, God, that the church is building. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But th- consider this. Satan hindered Paul from going to Thessalonica to encourage them in person. Oh, good job, Satan. You got us there. You, got, you really got Paul there. What happened as a result? Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians. And then 2 Thessalonians. In fact, scholars tell us that 1 Thessalonians was probably the first epistle Paul wrote. So when Satan hindered Paul from making it to Thessalonica, he actually began Paul's Bible writing ministry so we would have the New Testament today. Two-thirds of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. So uh, Satan, hinder away. God's going to use your, your plans and purposes to further the kingdom even farther and to make us even more effective. He says, Satan hindered us. Verse 19, we really wanted to see you, but he says, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So as we close out this chapter tonight and we, we talk about how to be an effective witness, we end with this principle here that we really need to understand in order to have the right perspective as witnesses for Christ. And that is that one day you will stand before the Lord and the culmination of all your actions in life will come in judgment at that moment. Now, it's the Bema Seat of Christ. It's, it's not judgment for your sin, but your works will be judged. And all that, that was done with selfish, impure motives will burn away. But that which was done with pure motives out of love for Christ will become precious gems and metals, figuratively speaking. It will be treasure in heaven for you, all that you've done. And Paul here says, what is our treasure in heaven? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing and boasting in our glory? It's you. That when you go to heaven, your riches won't necessarily be measured in gold. The streets will be made of gold. Your riches largely will be measured in the relationships that you built with other people. And not, not just any relationship, like not how many Instagram followers you had or how many people you were able to convince that you're like really cool because of the clothes you wear and how you walk and Not superficial, but the people that God used, the people that God touched through your life. That's that's going to be a part of your treasure in heaven. Paul's saying, hey, when Jesus comes back, you will be a crown of rejoicing for us, a crown of boasting. Look Look what our 
the, the fruit of our labor accomplished, the salvation of these people. It's amazing, guys. It's an amazing aspect of heaven that we will learn how God used all those little acts of obedience. All the times that you were faithful to represent Him. Big ways, small ways, all of it. Everything in between. Those moments that you were faithful to speak the name of Christ. You'll be able to see how each and every one of those, like a domino effect, impacted other people's hearts eternally. How amazing is that going to be? Think about it, guys. You may meet people in heaven who will come up to you knowing everything and be able to say to you, hey, God used you to get me here. How awesome is that? Saved from eternal hell in this eternal paradise. And you had a part, you had a hand in them getting there because you were faithful to the Lord. Paul says, that's what I'm working for. That's my retirement. That's what I'm investing in. You know, Bitcoin is good, sure, but, you know, I'm investing in souls. You know? Pretty amazing. And I I really hope, guys, that when you get to heaven, you'll have that experience. And not just one person. I hope hope that your life touches so many people. The little ways, whether it's out front somewhere or in an obscure position, that God really uses you and your giftings to make huge impact. Even the prayers you pray in secret, that you'll be able to see how amazing God used those things in the lives of others. Let's all stand. Let's pray. And God, we do thank You for just the stellar example of Paul. It's challenging, God. Uh, but we, yet, we want to strive, Lord, to be like the Apostle Paul. Effective in our witness, Lord. Uh, really devoted. And we realize we all have different callings. And our callings look very different. But we also realize that the Gospel, the work of the Gospel is a part of every individual's callings in this room tonight, Lord God. So I pray right now that You would make us effective. Make us sensitive to our giftings where we can be most effective in furthering Your kingdom, Lord God. Use each and every one of us. We are all parts of the body of Christ. We have different purposes and callings. But Lord, I pray that You would allow us to come in to these roles that You have given us so that we, when we do get to heaven, Lord, we'll experience the fullness and, and reach that full potential of what our lives can accomplish for Your kingdom. Lord, Paul did that. Lord, we want that. He's left that example for us. And so by the power of the Spirit, I pray for the men and women standing before me that You would equip them to be able to represent You well. And Lord, for those who don't know You, for those who haven't given themselves to You, and perhaps they're listening to this message, I pray that they would have the boldness and courage to take the next step as well. And if, that, if that's You, if you're listening to this and you haven't given your life to Christ, maybe you're starting to consider eternity the things you're investing in, how it's futile, and how the work of of God is eternal. Well, I want to tell you, if you want to start investing in the kingdom of heaven, the first step is receiving Jesus as your personal Savior. You You have to be saved. There is no work for God apart from the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if you have not received that yet, the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf to to cover your sins and to give you forgiveness and to bring you into the family of God, then I encourage you, I urge you to receive that now. And it's a real simple thing. You tell Jesus that you desire Him to be your Savior. That you desire Him to come into your life 
that you are willing enough to make the changes in your life, the things that you know He doesn't want in your life. You make those changes as a, as a proof that you want to follow Him and you will see amazing things in your life. You will see Jesus come in, be your Lord and your Savior. And Lord, I do continue just to pray for those, any who are hearing this, making that decision that You would, would come into their life, that You'd show Yourself strong on their behalf, that as they seek You, Lord, with all their hearts, that they would find You. Lord, we love You. We are Your church. We are Your people. And we want to be about Your business, Lord God. And we thank You for the invitation to do so. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. Thank you so much for listening. If you're hearing this and you'd like to give your life to the Lord now, I invite you to take the next step. Text the words, Ready for Jesus, to 94,000 and we can follow up with you. One of our leaders will be able to contact you and get you some free resources to help you grow in the faith. We invite you to come out to our in-person services every Thursday evening at Calvary Tucson's East Campus in the coffee shop area. We meet at 6.30 p.m. for coffee and our service starts at 7 p.m. In the meantime, keep reading, keep praying, and keep worshiping. God bless you. Down away.